Impact, Income, and Influence. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show helping you reach millions of people, millions of dollars. And today we are going to be talking about PR. This is all about the impact piece, maybe a little bit of the income. I am joined by somebody who absolutely hated working in the corporate world, although... She worked there for eight years. She knew from day one that it wasn't for her. So eventually she pulled the plug. She became a copywriter who helps people with PR, specifically creatives, coaches, authors, bloggers, people like that. She helps you get noticed through PR. She helps you with copywriting. Andrea, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. And I got your name wrong after all of that beforehand. (laughs) Sorry, Andrea. There we go better. All right. So tell me a little bit about corporate America. What did you love about it? Um, I loved the work that I did. That's why I stayed there for eight, eight years. I mean, I'm, I'm not that slow to know that I didn't like it right away. And I stayed anyway. I enjoyed the work. What I didn't like, though, and I think there are a lot of people who can relate to this. I didn't like being told that I had to be somewhere at a specific time, even if it was like 10 in the morning, just because you said I had to be there at 10. I was going to be late. I just was. I didn't like cubicles. I didn't like endless meetings. I had no point. I didn't like office politics. I just was not a good I'm not a good corporate person. The work, however, was great. I enjoyed the work a lot. Um, And so, you know, our whole department, I worked in a global company, our whole department was laid off because they decided that they wanted to decentralize our services. So we were a shared service center. And um, when my boss told me, I actually was relieved because they made the decision for me to leave and I was fine with it. And literally a month later, I got a call to do some freelance work and I, I was up and running as hub and company. So it worked That's out awesome. well. <laughs> Let's, I mean, the, I got fired from one job one time and I will tell you like, same thing. Like I went home and I just was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to figure out my own thing. And like my friends, my mom, my mom was like, Oh my goodness, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to go do what I want to do, which is way more fun than that, that pile of crap that I did. So, okay. You're on your own. You start your own business. You start doing some freelancing. Take us through, like, what did that look like for you? Like, what did you start with and how has that progressed over time? So I think you're going to pick up a pattern because the freelancing that I did was for another large company. It was for a Fortune 500 company. And um, they wanted me um, to be on a contract. So I started out on a contract with them because why not? I had nothing else going on. Um, And I think like three months in, I went back and renegotiated and said, you know, I don't really want to be on contract. I can either leave or you can really make this a freelance role. And I set my hours, I work from home, all of that. And they liked what I was doing. So they allowed me to to do that, which was great because I stayed stayed with them for six years as a freelancer doing writing for them. Uh, But in, in the interim or at the same time, I was also then starting to really get into where I work now, which was the arts and, um, you know, building 
a profile and starting to work with people in creative roles. So by the time I was, you know, done working that freelance role, I just kind of really stepped right into what I do now. So, so for, you know, I've been really fortunate in my career that things just always seem to work out for me. Um, but I will tell you that while you're in it, and I, and I think people can really relate to this while you're in it, you don't see that happening. Um, and I'll say, just like you said, it, you got to just kind of go out on faith sometimes and know that it's all going to work out. Let's, I mean, the, you, you point out, you make a very good point. Like things have always worked out for me as well, but when I'm in it, sometimes it doesn't feel like it's going to work out. Right. Like no matter how successful we are, no matter what the bottom line is, I've had six figure months that still like I wake up and things are really stressful or I still have a bad day. And like people that have listened to this podcast, I've mentioned one of the best stories I ever took away when I got started. And I think I read the book in 2014 was in Tony Robbins, money master the game. He interviewed the CEO of JP Morgan chase. And he said, when did the money stress go away for you? And she said, Oh, it never goes away. This is a woman CEO of JP Morgan making about $5 million a year. And she said, it never goes away when you have that, when you're earning that kind of money, you have more responsibility. Like you have to make sure that you're investing it correctly. You have to make sure that you're not getting taken advantage of. You have to like with much, like with more power comes more responsibility. And I thought that was really interesting. And I found that true as well. But you, the thing is, as you grow, you gain the skills to handle that, right? Um, exactly. I mean, you might still have a day, I'll ask you this, I mean, you might still have a day where it feels like there's a lot of stress or a lot of weight or you have a lot to do, but you know how to handle it now. And you also know, like there's a certain confidence, I guess I would say that comes with being there, right? And you're like, I know yeah. that this will pass and the next day will be great, right? Right, right. The more you grow, the more risk you have, right? Risk of losing it all, risk of not, um, you know, being, Fulfill, fulfilling your obligations to your clients, risk of being fired by your clients. There's all of these risks that happen the more you grow. But to your point, you know how to manage those risks better. Also, the more you're in the business yourself and the more you, you do kind of accept that things are going to happen the way they're supposed to happen. So, you know, in during the pandemic, I, I had more fear than I've ever had in my entire life, because, you know, it wasn't just my business, right? It was everybody's business. And I work again with creatives and they weren't able to play. They weren't able to put on their performances. They weren't able to have exhibitions at galleries and museums. All of those places were closed. So I felt for them as much as I felt for myself. And then you start to think, well, how is this going to turn around? But you just have to keep going and you have to find different ways in order to meet the needs, right? So whether that be, you know, short-term uh, product that you sell to your audience because that's what they can afford right now and that's what they need right now versus your long-term, you know, six-month engagements. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense at that time. So you figure it out. Um, and then maybe that short-term project product is going to last. Who knows? It might have been something brilliant that just came out of chaos or fear, or I shouldn't say fear, chaos or, or you know, as a risk, taking a risk. So I think you're right. You do, de you figure out how to deal with things the longer you're in business. So if you're listening to this, I'm going to ask you this question. 
But if you're listening to this and you're in corporate America and you want to leave your job or you have a side hustle and you're trying to figure that out, like which do you think is, quote, riskier? Staying in a corporate job or being your own boss and running your own, like running your own business, whether it's freelancing or coaching or being an artist, which do you think is riskier? Uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, and I, I, I honestly think that they both are risky. I think that the risk though, in staying in a corporate job that you don't like is exacerbated, right? Like it's more, it's it just because you feel every single day that you're doing something that you don't love to do. So when you're your own boss and you have your own business and you have those risks, but you can always remember, but this is what I love to do. This is a short-term thing. It's going to pass. When you're in your corporate job, you don't know how long the thing that's you know making you feel like you want to poke your eyes out is going to last. <laughs> that's, that. I mean, very true. The other thing that I see when you got downsized, you were happy. You were like, cool, they made the decision for me. I'm going to go over here. How many people, that was like a breaking point for them. They went home because let's be real. Like most people oh, don't yeah. have savings. They went home and they're like, I don't have a paycheck coming. Or maybe they got a two month salary or, you know, something, but they're still like, I've got two months of bank. And then like, I don't have anywhere to live. I don't have any food on the table. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's a much like relying on somebody else, no matter how good of an employee you are, you're still an employee. You have those golden handcuffs. Now that's not to say there aren't risks in entrepreneurship. You don't have insurance most of the time or you have a, a grossly inadequate insurance plan. I know plenty of entrepreneurs who fall in that realm. Um, if the market changes like it did during COVID, you might have a really hard time, but at the end of the day, you're responsible for it. That's the difference. Like, and if you are responsible, it will always end up, I believe, in your favor. But that's right. that doesn't mean entrepreneurship's for everyone. Right, right. Like there were a lot of people in our department that were upset about losing the their jobs, and I think that it's it was more of a shock, and they were actually happy in those jobs, whereas I was not, and I just couldn't figure out how to get out of it until it was presented to me. So I do think that that was a difference as well. I want to, I'm going to put you on the spot. This one's kind of fun, but it just came to me. Let's do a top five list okay. of, of people who love their jobs. Like what would be the things that they love about a corporate job? What do you think the top five are? We're totally just guessing, right? Because we're both entrepreneurs. Right. We would be. Well, of course, number our... one, right? A steady paycheck, right? That's what you just said. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, of course. That's the number one thing that people enjoy about it. Um, I think also if it's the, you know, depending on the job, it could be the access to people or places or other, um, you know, businesses that they wouldn't have before, which was, I think, the case in ours. Um, it could be that they have other people around them. So that kind of helps them to feel, I don't know. I could, I definitely good. see that. Yeah. Like during COVID, that was the one thing that I heard from people with jobs. They were all like, I miss the water cooler conversation. Yeah. I miss going to lunch. I mean, I, I've been, quote, virtual for seven years. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, we would meet in person. We would hold events. Like, we would do that stuff. But I would go home. My friends, I have friends all over the world 
And like we would meet on, well, we were meeting on Skype before yeah. Zoom was the thing, right? right? And like we would call each other. I mean, I would spend hours a day either on video or on audio calls with friends everywhere or with clients all over. So it was really interesting to me when people like COVID, yes, I had to pivot some, but it was different, right? So, right. okay, water cooler talk, that's three. What would four be? I think having somebody directing your activities, uh, people like that. Some, you know, it's, it's hard to try and figure out what are you going to do every day? figure out your time management, your priority, all of that stuff. So I think people enjoy that kind of security. And the fifth is um, it, it feeds your, your ego, right? With, when you get promotions and you get raises and you get good reviews and all of those things, because you don't get that stuff when you work for yourself. So. I mean, you, it, I, it's a different, it's a different way that you get it, but when you get recognition as an entrepreneur, it is just as serving and just feels just as good as an employee, but you don't, the difference is when you're an employee, you have the whole company looking at you and you're like, look at me, I got right. the award. When you're right. an entrepreneur and you get like a, a Forbes top 1000 or, you know, a two CCX award or something like that, you're like, you, you still have people looking at you, but it's different. That's a good, that's a good list. I like it. So let's, <laughs> We kind of went down a rabbit hole. Let's circle back to the PR piece. So what you do specifically is you help push out words. Tell me if I'm wrong here. <laughs> push out copy into the marketplace around creatives work to help them get noticed. Yes. Is that kind of correct? Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. I help figure out what the strategy is. So, so actually that was a nice segue because if you're an employee, like you said, you get the whole company's eyes on you and all of those things. When you're a small business owner, an entrepreneur, you, you have to, you have to make the effort to let other people know that you've got the recognition, the reward, the award. Right. And that's where PR comes in. So it was a very good segue. <laughs> awesome. It's nice how that lined up. Um, so talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, honestly, I've heard of people who are copywriters. I mean, every, every entrepreneur, especially in today's day and age needs to have a copywriter. If they don't, they're trying to write all the copy, which we know how that goes. So mm -hmm. talk to me about the PR piece though, because when I think of PR, what I usually think of, I've been approached by, I don't know how many people, you know, we're going to write we're going to write a 2000 word article for you and we're going to submit it to all the wire services and you get to have Fox, ABC, Forbes, NBC on your header. So I've done that a few times. Um, I've also done the, the Haro, you know, help, help out a reporter piece so that I can get on a television station or an interview somewhere. But what you're talking about is completely different. So tell us a little bit about how what you do works. Like what is the strategy around what you do and give us a few examples of best practices. Yeah, so there's, so PR is a, a big bucket just like everything else, right? And if you've ever heard of the peso model, paid, earned, owned, and um, what's the S? Oh my gosh, I just forgot what the S is. I don't know. It must not be that important. We'll come back to it. Whatever it is. I can't remember. But anyway, um, PR is the owned bucket. So um, that's that's where you could, that's the third party credibility. That's where you're working with the media. That's where you're actually not spending any money to get coverage. Because once you start spending money, money you're actually in the paid, in the paid bucket 
in the form of advertising. Um, mm -hmm. This is P PR or pu public relations is where influencer marketing happens. It's where event marketing happens. It's where collaborations happen. So that's the whole bucket. One piece of it is publicity. And that's when you get featured in Forbes and Inc. and, and all of the other publications that you want to be featured in. That's publicity. That's um, where I help a lot with strategy right now with creatives because everybody's looking to get you know their next release covered or to get their next show covered or to whatever it is to build an audience through the publication of choice so i always go through five things that that anybody can do on their own if they wanted to to enhance their pr or their publicity efforts and then the first one is to create a wish list because it's not enough to say i want to be covered you really have to understand who you want to cover you and why and the importance of that is that the media doesn't really care about you or your product or service and i know that that's shocking when i say that but it's absolutely true they don't they care about the alignment between you, your products, your services, and their audience. So if you can tell them a really good story that's going to have an impact on their audience, well, now they're going to pay attention to you. So that's why it's really important in that first step to create a wish list. Your wish list might be 25 publications, but really only focus on the first five, because to do this well, is going to take a lot of research. It's going to take a lot of time. So okay. that's the first thing. Create a wish list and, and make it traditional as well as non-traditional like podcasts and, and um, blogs and summits and things like that, as well as newspaper, print, radio, TV. Okay. Right? Got it. Okay. So that's a good first step, a wish list and make sure that what you offer aligns with what their audience wants. Exactly. I think, I mean, that piece alone if you think about that, if you're listening to this, think about that. Anyone that you ever approach with anything, that's what it should be. The reason that it's so hard to get sales for most people is all they do is talk about how great they are and what they offer instead of the outcome that it gets for the person. And that's all you're saying with this. Okay, so what's step number two? So the second step then is to build relationships. <laughs> like these people, these journalists and producers and editors are people first, right? They don't like you to come to them and say, run a story about me because of X. They're not Kinko's, they're not, you know, McDonald's, they're not a production house. They're looking for real connection. And so it's really important to build relationships with them, understand who they are as a person, you know, and there's many ways that you can research them. You could look them up on the website of the publication. You could look them up just a general search. You can look them up on social. You can find out who they are as people and, and understand what a common, um, entry point might be for the two of you, right? So let's say you figured out that the person you want to approach enjoys mountain climbing. I don't know. And you like mountain climbing. Talk about that. That's how you can break the ice. So understand that they are a real person and figure out how can you break the ice with them. That's the second step. Hey, thanks for taking a moment to check out this episode of Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one show helping you reach millions. Have you ever thought about building your own webinar or using public speaking to reach your ideal audience? 
Well, if you'd like my help with it, over the last several years, I have built more than 40 live events for clients just like you. In the last 18 months, I've helped 32 entrepreneurs build their webinar with over $5 million in cumulative sales. If you'd like to see how I can work with you, or if you'd be interested in having me speak at your event or be on your podcast, go to steven.coffee, that's S-T-E-V-E-N dot C-O-F-F-E-E, to book a short call with me and see how we can work together. All right, let's jump back to the episode. So if you're listening to that and you're like, but I've just got like, I just, I, I need to talk about myself. Think about the last cocktail party you were at probably before COVID. And you probably had a realtor that came up to you and was like, are you looking to buy a house? Are you looking to sell a house? Do you want to rent an apartment? And you were like, shut the freak up. Like, <laughs> I just want to hang out with my coffee and like talk. That's the same thing that people do when they're hunting right? Like they're going out with a spear and they're like, I am going to get somebody to do what I want. How well does that work? How well do you like that when that happens to you? Probably not very much. Exactly. Because once you start thinking about who's the best person at that outlet and how can you connect with them, you know, to break that ice, then you start to think about, because you have enough information, what kind of story is going to be attractive to them? And then you could start to formulate that pitch, which is the third step is kind of getting your house in order and understand how to clarify your message and how to present it in a way that's going to work for that publication, because that publication is going to be different than the next publication. And you've got to be able to share your message in a way that's going to work for both, right? Like we can't be one trick ponies when we're doing this. Um, Absolutely. Right. Okay. And then so you have what... to... go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, no, no go I was ahead. going to say, what's the next step? The next step then is to um, create that hook. So how can you be relevant? How can you be relatable? Think outside of the box. Sometimes you might have to connect the dots for them. And I always like to use this as an, a good example of that. Let's say you're an author and you wrote a book and the book is about Spanish cuisine or is about, yeah, Spanish cuisine and it um, takes place in Spain and it's a romance novel, okay? So of course you're gonna wanna go to the literary editor, right? book literary that's that's common sense but if you think outside of the box you actually could go to the food critic because you could talk about spanish cuisine you can go to the um leisure um section because you're talking about spain itself the travel department right you could go probably even to um like if there's a special section that would have applicability maybe there's a special section on um I was going to say Latin America. No, Spain is in um, Europe, a special section on Europe. <laughs> right? It's all right. So, <laughs> geography. We got geography 101 down. Right, right. So my point is to, to think outside of that box and then be prepared to connect the dots because the food critic might be like, I don't cover books. No, but this book is really heavy on Spanish cuisine. Maybe we could talk about this specific recipe or whatever. So that's the, that's the fourth step. And it would, I mean, I'm going to take it just a hair further, put what's in it for them. If the, if the guy is covering Spanish cuisine, be like, we're going to talk about the recipe and we're going to talk about how much like women love, like love the romance of having a meal cooked for them. Like yes. that's going to be a great hook that their audience would like. Right. Like I'm, I'm thinking their audience is women 35 to 45 who that's what they're looking for, right? They read romance novels. Do you know romance novels are the number one seller, you know, like worldwide yes. by far, like yeah. up like three X, everything else <laughs> in print is romance novels. So if you write a romance novel that has food in it, 
the food company, the food company, the food channel would want to cover you yeah. because their demo loves, their demographic loves romance novels. So see how right. that all fits right. together. And all right. Now you can, right now you go. can go to food and country magazine, right? Now you can go to Martha Stewart magazine, although she's a little bit more po um, general population, but you, you can go to the specific publications that you wouldn't have been able to go to if you were just thinking about, I wrote a romance novel. So I would guess that you have a ton of connections and you've built a lot of these relationships. Well, I do, but that's the beauty of it is um, as long as you think about it in these terms, it's, it's pretty easy to build relationships because it's all about how can I help you meet the needs of your audience instead of, hey, right. write about me, you know, and with the way things are now, newsrooms are, you know, they're not as well staffed as they used to be. People are moving from publication to publication or becoming freelancers or stringers, depending on what industry you're in. And so, you know, those relationships can can move to other places that can still be of benefit to you as long again as you've made, you've built real relationships. Right. That's the key. All right. So what is number five? The fifth and final step then is to really show them your special sauce, right? You want to woo them with that powerful pitch. You want to be able to communicate your difference. You want to make sure that you have the right assets for the right type of publication because TV requires different sorts of supporting materials than a radio station would, right? I mean, that just makes sense. TV is going to need much more of a visual asset to support the story, whereas radio is going to need you to be able to have a conversation about the talking point. So all of those things are the fifth step is really making sure that you have, you've made the strong pitch, but that you can support it because there's nothing worse than when someone's on deadline and they're trying to get the last pieces of information that they need from you and it's 3 a.m. and they've got nowhere to go. You don't have it on your website. You never sent them a press kit or links to a Google Drive or whatever it is that you're doing and they can't finish their story because they're missing stuff. So making That's sure that you have the right assets in the right places. Okay, so I'm going to ask you one more question. The follow-up question to that is, what does everybody need to put in their press kit? What is like a catch-all for a press kit? This is something that a PR manager taught me probably five years ago. I put together a media kit and it immediately got me noticed and people appreciated it. Um, I actually would put it in the footer for all my emails for press outreach. I would CC my press kit here. And yeah. I got like, thank you notes from people. Thanks for including this. One guy even said like, thanks for including this. You're not the right fit for me for this, but I'll keep you on hand because yes. the files were there. So what do you need in a press or media kit? Yes, you need to have a bio, short and long form. And that could be, depending on the type of business you have, a bio of you or you and your business, products and services. So you need to have a bio. Then you need to have um, product and service fact sheets, right? So if you have different products, you want to make sure there's a fact sheet for each one. Same with the services. And not everything that you offer, but the key ones, right? You're going to want to make sure that you have good photos again of you and if you have products product photos you want high res and low res because print needs high res online needs low res you want to make sure that you have um you know access to clip quote unquote clips which are your best placements right your best tv placements your best articles links to all of those things 
here's a tip that not a lot of people will, will share. And that is you don't wanna link directly to those publication sites because those can come down at any time. You wanna make sure that you're linking to it in a place where you have control so that it's always available. Um, uh, you're so gonna- Would go you ahead. just screenshot? Like what I did was I just screenshotted the stuff because I was you like- can do that. I just, yeah, and I just sent them to a file folder with like, and I made them look like newspapers because I was thought it'd be cool. But the, I would like, how else could you do it if you're not linking directly to their site? Because I could see people being like, what does that mean? How do I do that? Yeah, you can ask them if for it. Um, they may give it to you, they may charge you for it. So it depends. Like if it's, you know, if it was a placement in Harvard Business Review, it might be worth it to pay to get the clip, right? Yeah. But if it's your morning TV show and they want it, they, they won't. But if they wanted to charge you for your, you know, your segment, then you have to decide, is this worth me spending for or is something else, right? So, but you could, so you could ask for it, you could pay for it, you could screenshot it if it, if, if you can get a good screenshot. Um, I mean, if worse comes to worse, you could link to it if that's the only thing that you want to do. But I would say that would be an absolute last resort. And then you're going to want to check it regularly. Okay, got it. So what else? So we went through clips. We went through long form bio, short form bio, services page. What are the mistakes that you see people make with their media kit? I also want to say that you also want to make sure that you have really good contact information. Um, it could be yourself, but if you're a, if you're in a business, right, and you have multiple people who are spokespeople, make sure that their contact information is there too. Um, and you'll want to make sure that you have um, like talking points, right? So if you've you've done submissions for radio. Um, or TV, I guess, you wanna make sure that you've got the talking points there so that they understand what it is that you'll talk about and how to how to walk you into those different points. Um, you don't want anybody to be left off guard. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing that I have seen, cause I've, I've, people have seen mine and people have asked questions and a couple of people have put ones together based on like what I did or what I told them. And the biggest thing that I've seen them do wrong that I have to go back and fix, which I'd love your thoughts on, is they'll write, like the bios are okay. They're okay. They're not bullet pointed. But then their like questions are like pages long. And like their descriptions of things are way too long, run on sentences, not well written, not like clearly yeah. defined. And I said, just have an editor go through and edit it. Like pay a couple hundred bucks, get it professionally edited. Because you're like the people that look at those when you're sending them out, there's you've got three seconds, right? Maybe like five seconds, like they're going to skim the page. And if you have a bunch of trash or if you have a bunch of run on sentences and like really dense paragraphs, it's not going to get you what you want because they're going to find somebody that has it professionally put together. Yeah, it's sort of like um, so press releases, right? So sometimes if you have an evergreen topic and you've issued press releases like you were talking about before um you can put those in your on your media kit on your media page in your media kit so um and and so i bring that up as an example because a press release i think a lot of people think of their press release as the end all be all of the whole thing like the whole pitch and all of the supporting information is in the press release which is not the function of the press release most times sometimes it can be if you think that they're just going to pick it up and run it 
depending on the publication, but really it's a door opener. It's a, to give the journalist, editor, whomever, enough information to be interested and to call you and get more information. Because if they can just run it as it is, it, they don't need yeah, you. No and I mean, and that really isn't helpful to you. You want the conversation. You well, want that's, the feature. That's so what, the, I mean, that right there is the point. If you guys are listening to this and you're like, what do, what do you mean? The press release, when you pay somebody to do a couple hundred bucks to get you out, yes, you get to use the footers but the or the, the logos, but that's not the main goal. The main goal is to have the conversation, to then get into their publication, to get on the TV, to get on radio, to be the expert. Like that's the main thing. And most of the people selling the press release don't even talk to you about that because they don't want to manage it, right. in my opinion. Right. Right. And so, and I say that there's one caveat to that, which is if the press release is about something that's really evergreen. So if you wrote a book or if you, um, you know, started a partnership or something like that, where if they pick it up three months after it happened, it's still relevant, then your press release could probably um, be a little bit more substantial. You could put it on your website and you know, it'll attract some SEO juice for you and things like that. But more often than not, it's really just the quick hit. It's, hey, this is what's going on. Hopefully it's interesting enough that you're going to call me. Awesome. So we have covered a whole wide range of things, but you have a mini course that shows you how to develop a unique value prop that will get people to notice you in PR. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I do. I have a, a mini court. It's free and it's um, make your brand pop through your unique value prop. And that really is, um, you know, it underpins everything that we do, whether it be from copywriting or PR. It's we have to understand the value that we are providing and how to articulate that value. And so that's what this mini course helps with. It's, it's pretty short, um, but it helps to understand why are you different? How, how can you demonstrate that differentiation? And then, you know, helping to write the value prop itself is, is the last step in the course. Awesome. Where can people go to find that? If you guys are wondering, it is in the show links. If you click in the description, it is right there for you. But you can tell us where to go as well. It's hubandcompany.com slash pop. Oh, awesome. That is easy. I love it. So that is in the show notes. The last question I have for you is why should people use PR with all the stuff that's out there, right? They can do PR, they could do some Facebook ads, they could do summits, they could start a podcast. Why should people be paying attention to PR? Because it is one of the best um, returns on your investment. I mean, yes, it takes, it'll take more time than running ads. It'll take more time than, you know, spending an hour on a podcast. Sure. However, it's, it, it's, the credibility that you get from the third-party um, endorsements, it's going to help set you up when your audience sees those as an expert, and it will exponentially increase your marketability within your industry. Awesome. I love it. Well, Andrea, I want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing. This is a super yeah. fun conversation. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. 
Awesome. Um, if people want to reach out to you, find your services besides your, your free course, where can people go to get in contact with you? Hubandcompany.com. Okay, perfect. So you guys heard it there. If this sparked your interest and you would like to do some PR, you'd like to get on television, you'd like to get on radio, you'd like to get your media kit put together, reach out hubandcompany.com. And um, Okay, I left a long pause there in case you wanted to cut this out. I also offer, um, if somebody's not ready for a full PR campaign, I offer a one hour PR power hour, which I can help them to figure out, you know, where to go, what, what publications to look at, whatever they need help with for an hour. So I don't know That's if you awesome. wanted to include that. Yeah, sure. The, the PR power hour. I love it. PR power hour. That should be your podcast. Cool <laughs> oh, podcast. yeah. That'd be a cool That's podcast. a great idea. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. And to everybody else out there, until next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon. Thanks for checking out today's show. Do you want the fast and easy Cliff Notes version of the actionable steps from today's episode? If so, go to actionbullets.com and download yours today. Also, if you're looking to start using story selling in your business and have stories do 90% of the hard work for you, grab my free course at storyselling.how today. Till next time, take action, change lives, and make money. We'll see you soon.